Hi, everyone. <laughs> so whenever I tell my family, like, oh, we've started going to a vineyard church, they're like, gosh, that must be really big. And it's like, oh, it's kind of big. There are quite a few of us. It's really big from this perspective up here. <laughs> but I'm really excited to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm mainly really excited. I just had a moment with Amy Creedy about the Britney mic. This is like seven-year-old me's greatest dream to be wearing a microphone like Britney Spears. <laughs> Um, and now that it's December, I feel that it's appropriate to ask this question. Is anyone getting excited for Christmas yet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Some real Christmas fans. So this year, I've found myself getting excited for Christmas, possibly for the first time since I was a child. I'm usually a total Scrooge outside of the 23rd to the 26th of December. Um, but this year, I've been excited for actual months. Ever since the beginning of August, when Harry and I nobly offered to make the Christmas cake, which is, you know, seemed like a really good idea at the time, but now it's getting close, so I'm thinking, the Christmas cake. At my in-law's house on Christmas Day, when his whole family have travelled across the country and Grandma has flown all the way from Australia via Dubai, only to have our cake probably let down the entire thing. But... <laughs> But still, I'm really excited about it. We're even ha planning on having a Christmas tree in our house uh, this year for the first time in our married lives. Um, so Harry's very excited because he's also a real Christmas fan as well. Um, but this Sunday marks the start of Advent and the countdown to Christmas. And it's a time when the church traditionally remembers the Christmas story, not just the nativity story, but also how the story about Jesus started so long before then. Because a king was promised to the Jews many, many years before Jesus was born. So with it being the start of Advent, I've been asked to speak on the promise of the king, the promises of the king. And we're going to be thinking about and discussing waiting for these promises. So if we look at Isaiah 9, which should hopefully come on the screen, I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. So it starts, Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naph Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee for the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of God Almighty will accomplish this. And I love this passage of scripture, and it's such an epic promise from God, such a huge promise. 
And it's probably one that many of us will recognize from carol services or nativity scenes, lines from scripts taken from these phrases. But this prophecy comes directly after a prophecy all about war and doom and gloom in Isaiah 8. And chapter 9 then starts, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Isaiah foresaw a time when God would break all oppression and that his people would live in a time of great joy and that the burden of war and oppression would be gone. A quick Google search told me that this was written... (laughs) I don't know how I would have prepared for this without Google. (laughs) A quick Google search told me that this specific prophecy is thought to be written about 700 years before Jesus came. Could you imagine being in Advent for 700 years, or slightly more than? But yet, seven centuries later, the Jews were still waiting and expecting their Messiah because he had been promised to them. In the King James Version of Isaiah 25, it says in chapter 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So in this Advent season of waiting for our Christmas celebrations to begin, and remembering the first coming of our saviour, I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about waiting and discuss waiting, and how we walk through seasons of waiting for the promises of God in our lives. So, can you remember a time when you were waiting for something, like really longing for it, maybe as a child on the morning before, your, on the day before your birthday, when you'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning and it was still dark and you had butterflies in your tummy and you couldn't go back to sleep? or maybe for a promotion that you've worked really hard for, or starting a new school, going off to university, leaving home, or for big, big events in our lives like getting married or the birth of a long-for child. Life is full of so many opportunities for us to practice waiting. Yet in the age of Amazon Prime, and even my new favorite thing, Amazon Now, I find myself getting even worse at waiting on God and applying these same worldly ideas and and structures and systems to him and expecting him to abide by them. And I have a feeling, and I hope, that I'm not the only one who has fallen into this trap of thinking like this. And I absolutely love this quote by C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, which um, shows us, starts to show us how we can wait on God. It says, I do not know why there is this difference, But I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. When you enter your room, you will find that the long wait has done you some kind of good, which you would not have had otherwise. But you must regard it as as waiting and not camping. You must keep on praying for light. And of course, even in the hall, you must begin trying to obey the rules which are common to the whole house. And above all, you must be asking which door is the true one not which pleases you best by its paint and panelling. Waiting on the kingdom of God to break through is not something that we do passively. It's not just something that we can just sit idly by and wait for it to happen. Waiting is a verb. Waiting is something that we have to do. So how do we do it? How do we wait on the promises of God today? How do we wait for answers to be, for prayers to be answered or prophecies that have been spoken over us to be fulfilled in our lives today? There are so many answers to this question. It's an absolutely huge question, and I'm not going to pretend that I have the answer. 
Um, but I would like to share and discuss three ways um, of approaching and navigating seasons of waiting in our lives. And they are drawing closer to God, holding on to the promises of God, and praying in line with the will of God. So if we're going through something or we're praying for something to happen and waiting for something to happen, how can we use these three things to help us in these situations? And, these, and how, we can, how can we make these times of waiting profitable and not just wasted time? Because being in a place of waiting can be a difficult time and leave many of us feeling spiritually dry. And I think if we're really honest, frankly, no one enjoys waiting. It can be really boring and dull sometimes. Um, so starting with the first one, drawing closer to God, what better time to try and really focus on this than during the Christmas season? Um, there's something about Christmas that draws people closer to Jesus. Even with all the commercialism and tat that goes with it, we suddenly find that churches are filled with people enjoying candlelit carol services or children's nativity plays. Buildings that can be empty and cold most of the year suddenly get a fresh life into them throughout December. And often people who wouldn't consider themselves Christian are in church, maybe with family members. And in every service, there are people whose interests have been piqued or are kind of on the fringe, who God is wanting to draw closer towards him. In Acts 2, Paul says that this promise, this promise of Jesus, is for you and your children and all who are far off from, and all whom the Lord will call. So this invitation to draw closer to God is not exclusive in any way. It's open to everyone. And it's the perfect opportunity for us to reflect and take stock of how things are going in our relationship with the Lord and let this call and his love pull us ever closer towards him. If we look at Ephesians 2, um, I just want to highlight two verses from it. Gosh, that's a very small. Um, Verses Ephesians 2, verses 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of, Je blood of Christ. And then verse 17, which is also in bold, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. God is continually draw, calling us to draw closer to him and receive his peace. The prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 9 that we read at the beginning refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And some of you will know a lot more about this than I do, but the, word, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it's a much, much better word than its, than its English counterpart because it implies far more than just a lack of conflict. It can be translated into many other words such as completeness or well-being. And the Message Bible translates Prince of Peace as Prince of Wholeness, as the shalom kind of peace brings true reconciliation between our hearts and God's. So as we draw closer to God during Advent, I'd like to encourage everyone to be open to the peace that his spirit brings us to help keep us strong in times and seasons of waiting. Also, spending time with God gives us the opportunity to ask him what he is teaching us during this waiting time. So if you're looking for a breakthrough or praying into something, I'd encourage you to spend time with God, receive his peace, and also ask him how you can grow during this time. So the second point, the second one, holding on to the promises of God. So just like the Jewish people held on to the promise from Isaiah 9 for over 700 years, and even longer if you look back at older prophecies, 
We can be strengthened in times of waiting by holding on to God's promises. And waiting can be such an uncomfortable time because it shows us so many areas of our lives that are just totally beyond our control. So it can be really tempting to look for solutions outside, you know, that we are fixing it in our own strength or turning to promises of the world to look for these solutions. But sometimes when we want to see God's plans unfold in our lives, we have to wait and remain strong in our faith. Even Abraham, the guy who God originally made a covenant with, and had, he had to wait many, many years for, for the promises that God gave him to happen. And some happened even long after he died. He is such an example to us. And Paul wrote about him in Romans 4, verses 20 and 22. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith has counted him as righteousness. God's promises to us are good, and we can hold on to them as beacons of hope in difficult times. One thing in particular that God has promised us is that he will renew the strength of those who wait on the Lord. Just like we so often sing in times of worship, these lyrics, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength, run and not get weary, walk and not faint, which is taken from a passage in Isaiah. And knowing that the Lord will strengthen us during times of waiting can be such an encouragement when we're feeling weary and help us to keep going. As well as promises from scripture, we can think back to prayers and prophecies that we've had for our lives in the past, or remember times when God has moved in our own lives or in the lives of those around us to help keep us strong and as something to really hold on to. And then my final thought was about praying in line with the will of God. When Harry and I first came to this church about two and a half years ago, when we were in the old building in St. Cecilia's, um, a guy called Pete Gregg came and spoke and for anyone who's not familiar with his work, he started this movement called 24-7 Prayer, which set up prayer rooms that are constantly occupied 24 hours a day across the country, and I think internationally as well now. And he spoke about aligning our will with God's will when we're praying or looking for breakthrough. And it, chal- I re- it challenged me so much at the time And it helps me remember that this isn't Father Christmas that I'm coming to with a list of requests. It's the maker of heaven and earth who I have a relationship with. And I have a slightly amusing and maybe totally inappropriate tale about about this, which I hope I'm not going to get into trouble for. (laughs) Um, When I was about 12 or 13, all of my peers started going through puberty. And all the boys in school used to mock me for having really small boobs. And, <laughs> and I used to lie in bed at night, staring at the magnolia wall of my dorm room, begging God to make my boobs bigger, really pleading with him. <laughs> and, um, and from this, I learned that sometimes God says no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, exhibit double A right here. Like, sometimes he just says no. <laughs> I hope you're not regretting telling me to be myself on Wednesday. (laughs) Um, But, but, 
As I look back now, I can remember and I can see that at this time, I was also being introduced to the idea that I'm made in the image of God and that I'm his creation. And it was also around this time that my youth leaders started looking at this idea. And my mentor at the time introduced me to these two bits of scripture. Um, First one from Psalm 139, which says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And the second one from Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God, he was so good, and he used this time to teach me that I'm God's handiwork, and that my body should be used to glorify him, and that I shouldn't give two hoots about what some 13-year-old boy thought. But if I'd continued to petition God to change my body, I'd still be waiting, and I'd be waiting an awfully long time. So although God said no to my prayer and didn't answer it in the way that I wanted him to at the time, he answered it in a so much deeper and more important way that I'm so grateful for now as a vaguely adult person. Ben Patterson wrote in a book called Waiting, what you become while you wait is at least as important as what you are waiting for. And I can now see that God answered my prayer in a way that I've ne- I would never have imagined. And he changed me on the inside and changed my thoughts about myself. There's another tale. Uh, there's a tricky situation. <laughs> I promise this one's not about a body part. <laughs> um, there's a tricky situation going on in my family at the moment that I'm doing lots of praying and lots of waiting for. And I used to approach this prayer time like I would imagine how you'd lobby an MP or how you'd convince a teacher, to try, an angry teacher, to try and give you more time. Like God needed convincing that my way was best and that he didn't understand how awful it was and he just needed to fix it. And it was almost as if we weren't on the same side and I didn't think that he could see that this situation was wrong somehow. But this summer, a group of us went to a worship festival called David's Tent. And I was standing in the coffee queue one morning, bleary-eyed after probably about four hours sleep. And the smell of freshly ground coffee was drawing me closer to the counter. I wasn't really paying attention to anything. But I overheard two people standing in the queue behind me. And they were talking about their families. And they were both in quite similar situations to the ones that, one that my family is currently in. And one of them said something along the lines to the other one of, oh, yes, of course, I'll keep praying. I know it's God's will to look after my family. And at the time, this hit me in the face like I was hoping my double shot Americano would. And I suddenly realized and remembered that God invented marriage and he invented families. Of course, it's his will for them to succeed. So knowing that I'm working with God to help solve this problem rather than petitioning against him, is a total game changer in the way that I approach praying for this. And it's totally changed my mindset and given me so much hope. So like it says in John 1, 5, 14, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if it's God's will, then it will also be God's time. So until then, I will keep on actively waiting and praying. But before I finish off, I just wanted to ask you what your default position is on waiting. 
Is it to hold fast to the promises of God and draw closer to him? Or are we tempted to just pray once and sit idly by? Or do we turn to promises of the world instead and try and fix it ourselves in our own strength? During this festive season, as we celebrate the first coming of our Saviour, I'd like to encourage us all to use this time to lean into God's presence and actively wait on him and ask him how we can use this season as profitably as possible and, how, and ask the Lord how he wants us to grow during this season of Advent.